Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast as always is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies and Liquidware, and by the latest Microsoft partner for Windows Virtual Desktop, PolicyPack Software. PolicyPack enhances the value of Windows Virtual Desktop by adding a suite of components to enhance Windows built-in administration. It's been a pretty challenging week for me with my kids sick all week and all kinds of things going wrong in the house. And yet my wife was very understanding when I said I needed a couple of hours to get away to do the podcast. If I was going out of pocket for producing this podcast each week, there's no way that I would be given the slack required to get away to do the podcast like this in difficult circumstances. So really, truly, I can't state it enough. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have Liquidware, Goliath Technologies, and PolicyPack Software to thank. And with that little sob story out of the way, let's get into some news. Oracle CEO Mark Hurd has died at the age of 62. No cause of death has been disclosed at this time, but he has been on a health-related leave since September. Mark Hurd was formerly the CEO of HP. He was certainly a polarizing figure, and some of the articles about his death have been in pretty poor taste, in my opinion. Whatever else is being reported at the moment, he did have a very successful career and died far too young. October's Patch Tuesday addresses a couple of NTLM security vulnerabilities that could be exploited to compromise an organization's entire domain. CVE-2019-1166, according to bleepingcomputer.com, has been named Drop the Mic 2, and it impacts all in-support Windows versions with all servers that do not enforce signing being vulnerable to attacks using these exploits. The Microsoft Advisory states, quote, A tampering vulnerability exists in Microsoft Windows when a man-in-the-middle attacker is able to successfully bypass the NTLM MIC, which is Message Integrity Check Protection. They continue, an attacker who successfully exploited this vulnerability could gain the ability to downgrade NTLM security features, which obviously would pretty much make NTLM completely redundant. There's also a Windows NTLM security feature bypass vulnerability, CVE-2019-1338, which affects Windows 7 SP1, Windows 2008, Windows 2008 R2 devices and could be used in attacks that enable threat actors to quote use NTLM relay to successfully authenticate to critical servers such as OA and ADFS and steal valuable user data. To exploit CVE-2019-1166, which is the first one I mentioned, potential attackers would need to tamper with the NTLM exchange. While attackers attempting to abuse 2019-1338, which is the second one I mentioned, would need to be able to modify NTLM traffic exchange. So obviously those are the exploits, and and a would-be attacker would need to get through probably different layers of security in your environment in order to exploit this, but still the potential impact if they do get through is very significant so since they can get across your entire domain. 
it could be time to consider disabling NTLM in your organization since it is pretty antiquated technology now and definitely patch this as soon as possible. The Hacker News reports a new pseudo-security policy bypass issue in Linux that could allow a malicious user or a program to execute arbitrary commands as root on a targeted Linux system even when the sudoers configuration explicitly disallows the root access. The vulnerability, which is CVE-2019-14287, affects all pseudo versions prior to the latest release version, which was just released, version 1.8.28. You should definitely upgrade to this version. As usual, Cisco have also released their own advisory, CVE-2019-15260. It affects several Aeronet product lines, including access points for industrial customers. It can be exploited by a remote attacker without the correct credentials, who could then tamper with device settings with elevated privileges or view sensitive corporate information. Affected product lines include the Aeronet 1540 series, 1560, 1800, 2890, 3800, and 4800 access points and series. <laughs> Uh, CVE-2019-15264 and CVE-2019-15261 are related to high-severity denial-of-service flaws in the Aeronet software. So obviously all of these advisories are released around the time of this October patch Tuesday. So to address these vulnerabilities, definitely get patching. Sophos have announced that a private equity firm called Tama Bravo has agreed to buy the company for $3.9 billion. That price is based on $7.40 per share. The CEO of Sophos, Chris Hagerman, stated, quote, Sophos is actively driving the transition in next generation cybersecurity solutions, leveraging advanced capabilities in cloud, machine learning, APIs, automation, managed threat response, and more. We continue to execute a highly effective and differentiated strategy, and we see this offer as a compelling validation of Sophos, its position in the industry, and its progress. End quote. The article suggests when a private equity firm like this acquires a vendor, they tend to have an idea that this vendor or their products have been undervalued, and it's a good purchase, and they may have an eye to merge it with a different vendor or a different set of vendors' products that they also have acquired. I kind of hope whatever happens that the current Sophos products or their current suite is available to purchase standalone and is not just coupled with different products, making it more expensive. But yeah, sure, maybe providing more value, but also being more expensive because I think it's pretty important to have viable competition out there to the larger endpoint protection antivirus vendors out there. I will say too, Sophos were one of the quickest vendors to update their definitions when WannaCry was running rampant that terrible Friday that I'm sure we all remember. So I think their size kind of gives them the ability to be agile right now, so hopefully they don't lose that in the future. Also, it would be a shame if their security blog goes away as part of this because I've referenced it numerous times on this podcast. 
So this next one isn't news per se, but I somehow missed this earlier this year, I think, and discovered it this week. The Tor project have published Chrome and Firefox extensions to help users in censored countries connect to the Tor network. Users who want to help those living under oppressive regimes can install the Tor Snowflake extensions for Chrome or Firefox. The two extensions effectively transform a user's browser into a proxy, allowing users in oppressive countries to connect through the extension to the Tor network. Of course, if Tor is just completely blocked in the country, this may not help. And the idea of allowing my machine to be used as a proxy on something like Tor, eh, it's a little unnerving, but it is for a good cause. Also related to Tor, they have announced they have removed more than 800 servers that hosted end-of-life versions of the browser. Speaking of Chrome extensions, interestingly, the uBlock Origin Development Build extension, which is pop a popular ad blocker in Chrome, was rejected by Google for their store. So this is just currently the development build that was rejected, not the ongoing you know, production build that most people will use. But the developer on GitHub shared the rejection reason, which was, quote, your item did not comply with the following section of our policy. An extension should have a single purpose that is clear to users. Do not create an extension that requires users to accept bundles of unrelated functionality, such as an email notifier and a news headline aggregator. If two pieces of functionality are clearly separate, they should be put into two different extensions, and users should have the ability to install and uninstall them separately. The developer's GitHub notes go on to state when seeking clarification as to what specifically raised the ire of the approval team, there was no clear response, and there was a feeling that he was being stonewalled. He states that since the next uBlock origin release will essentially be what 1.22.5 RC2 is, which is what was rejected in the development build, people should consider that the product is probably coming to an end of life in the Chrome Web Store. He states just being rational that if it was rejected in development build, it's going to be rejected when he tries to push it to the production version. Those who still want to use the product will have to find another browser for which the product is still available. Hopefully Google comes to their senses and hopefully this is not going to be a trend that other developers of extensions start to experience too. Ed Bot at ZDNet has reported that version 19.09 of Windows 10 should be quicker and smoother to install than previous Windows 10 releases. Microsoft states that this release provides a scoped set of features for select performance improvements, enterprise features, and quality enhancements. It's essentially an enablement package rather than a full version and takes just minutes to download and install. The list of new features is pretty short. It includes... Third-party digital assistants can activate above the lock screen using voice commands. The calendar flyout on the taskbar allows you to create an appointment or meeting on the fly without having to open the calendar app. The navigation pane on the start menu expands when you hover over it with your mouse to provide more details about what each icon represents. The search box in File Explorer is now powered by Windows Search, allowing results to include OneDrive content online which I actually mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast. And to be fair, that is a pretty significant change 
if it speeds up search capabilities. Also, a group of changes to notifications make it easier to configure and manage notifications in banners and in the action center. And finally, the narrator and other assistive technologies can now detect the location of a dedicated function key and determine whether it's locked or unlocked. That's becoming increasingly important as more PCs use this technique to toggle the actions assigned to function keys. So, by no means is it a massive release, but Personally, I think those managing Windows 10 desktops have a little bit of fatigue anyway, so this could be a welcome break. It might be an easy win to go to this version. And hey, if it actually does provide performance improvements and enhancements like that search improvement, then it is a quick easy win hopefully. Cameo, a product that is close to my heart as I researched it for many years as part of my contributions to the application virtualization smackdown. That's a mouthful, has announced some pretty significant enhancements and changes to their service. It's claimed they can accommodate 8 to 10 users per GPU on their cloud-hosted service, and they have the ability to auto-scale once 60% of utilization is reached to ensure the environment adapts to customers' needs. They state the way they utilize their AppVert product ensures they are more lightweight and so can provide greater user density than those who rely on, say, full-server instances for published apps like RDSH. It's pretty interesting. If you tried out Cameo maybe even just two or three years ago, the product is completely transformed. It's not anything like it was back then. There's a little more overlap now with, say, what Frame does. And it's interesting they're putting this out there about GPUs because that was a differentiator between Cameo and frame in the past was Cameo was more focused on the majority of apps that run fine with just CPU, not necessarily requiring GPU. And it seems like they're now tackling just all applications, whether they're GPU intensive or CPU intensive. I also mentioned, I think two or three weeks ago on the podcast that they had an RDP brute force protection product that they released for their customers. So they're doing some pretty cool things and are definitely worth keeping an eye on. Uber Agent have announced an endpoint security analytics product. Things like process creation, network transmissions, and many other types of events, all of which are highly relevant to the security context, are already monitored in the existing tool. It is stated that several Uber Agent customers have been using Uber Agent, at least in part, for security scenarios already. So to better support that, they're making it formal with Uber Agent Endpoint Security Analytics, or ESA. Uber Agent provides rich context and metadata, while Uber Agent ESA adds deep security visibility. With the combination of their ESA and their UXM product, you need only one agent for user experience, performance, and now security. This guarantees the smallest possible footprint on the endpoint. Their technology is based on the efficient and reliable Uber Agent UXM, which is their core product today, and has been deployed to enterprises worldwide with up to 300,000 users per organization. Some of the additional benefits for the security product include process tagging, which will enable businesses to identify risky processes, and the product comes with predefined rules for many common threats, including Microsoft Office Child Process identification, or the ability to flag processes that are started from directory standard users, or even worse, 
low integrity processes can write to. Schedule tasks historically can also be used to mask malware and the product can help you detect and protect against that vertical and much more. For full details on what the analytics product can do for you, I suggest checking out the link that I'll provide with this episode of the podcast, which is episode 94 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links, or you'll find it in the description field of your podcast platform of choice. Citrix App Layering version 19.10 has been released, and it may be the most significant release since the Unidesk acquisition, as it looks to deliver some performance enhancements that have been sorely needed. It looks at this time the big performance wins are for those using the Hyper-V connector. The performance enhancements or improvements come through their new compositing engines. Benchmark testing results show dramatic results. For example, a published layered image with 200 app layers previously on Hyper-V could take close to 5 hours to produce. Now it takes less than 2 hours with the new compositing engines. Personally, I'm looking forward to the future release when vSphere is supported. Actually, I originally really loved um, Unidesk. I think it was version 3.4 when it brought in Hyper-V support because to me, it was the best soup-to-nuts product for managing a virtual desktop environment running on Hyper-V because natively, without it, you're creating your own custom scripts in PowerShell and jumping through a lot of hoops to make VDI and Hyper-V a somewhat usable solution and to me Unidesk made it not only a usable solution but probably one of the most enjoyable and easiest to manage with the app layering the user layers the OS layers it was just really awesome solution and I loved Unidesk I was a little bit disappointed with Citrix app layering with the direction the product was going in and the lack of automation possibilities and the horrible performance in my opinion has to this point made me reluctant to move to it in a production environment. If the performance improves for the win of being able to use app layers and updating my regularly updated applications independent of opening up the VDisk, maybe prove attractive enough to consider it again. Thorsten Elmer has shared an interesting issue he has discovered this week with Citrix PVS 1906 running on Server 2019 on HPE Moonshot M17X cartridges. If you happen to line up with that type of configuration, all those little pieces are the same, you may find that creating servers from PVS fails with an issue stating the volume will not support the snapshot because it is not an NTFS volume. If you've run into the same issue or you have that type of configuration, Check out the reference links to find the Twitter thread from Thorsten. You might want to talk to him and maybe combine powers to lean on Citrix support to see if there's something that they can help with or possibly the other other vendors in the mix. If you've been playing with Windows Terminal and would love to give feedback, it would be great if you could share your feedback with Microsoft. Kaylee Cinnamon on Twitter has asked for people to please reach out and provide feedback to her. And you can find her on Twitter at cinnamon underscore MSFT. A quick note about an upcoming event, which is going to be probably limited interest to the people listening to this podcast because most people are not in Ireland or particularly in Galway. 
but since it's local to me, I wanted to promote it. There's a cybersecurity series tech talk titled Secure World, which will be held in Ballybrick, Galway on the 24th of October at 3 p.m. There's still time to register if you're interested. It's going to be a three-hour event. It's free, so why not give it a look? And now for this episode, a hot job. The New York Times is looking for an application security engineer based obviously in New York City. As an application security engineer, you will work with the product and technology teams to build in security early. You will tinker frameworks, automate operations, and promote impact through self-service. You will provide security training and outreach to internal development teams. You will participate in application security, periodic off-hours escalation rotation, help design and document processes, educational content and training, and more. The successful candidate might have a foundation in technical knowledge of application security, a working knowledge of Fortify, check marks, or similar static code analyzers, be able to read like a book and sniff out security bugs like typos, whatever, proficiency to write code in Python as if it's child's play, be comfortable with public speaking and an ability to engage with others, and have at least three years of relevant work experience. I don't know if it's just me, but when I see these security jobs and like that type of job spec versus say something like um, a systems administrator, engineer, Citrix engineer, software developer, I feel like there's a lot more wiggle room in the security space. And I've noticed there's been quite a lot of lateral movement in organizations that I've worked in where people who weren't necessarily trained or experienced in security moved over there. So it's a pretty interesting space right now. It seems like there's a high demand for security and they're not necessarily discriminatory if you don't have much experience. So if anyone's looking for a change of discipline in your IT career, it seems like security is a pretty good space to get into right now. There's a lot of money being spent on it. Also, while I'm in this segment, it's not a job up for grabs, but a quick shout out to my buddy Jeff Pitch, who this week announced he has taken a new role with IGEL, which I just learned this week. I think it's supposed to be pronounced uh, Eagle, since it's German. Sorry, Eagle Technologies. Uh, he also announced that he's going to start blogging independently at jeffpitch.com, which I'll share the link for with this episode. And now this week's weekly webinar. One of the best packaging tools in the world is made by Master Packager, and they will be holding a webinar on Thursday, October 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern. The agenda includes why was Master Packager born, what is Master Packager, how to become a Master Packager, woohoo, and tips and tricks from the real world. I've seen the tips and tricks from the real world from a previous um, virtual expo. That's a pretty good one to check out. So... If the other three items, the kind of introductory type stuff, doesn't interest you, you should at least check it out for the tips and tricks. And now this week, I've got a lot of scripts, tricks, and tips. This week, Aaron Parker tweeted a preview of a new PowerShell module for Evergreen application installs. If you're listening to the audio-only version of the podcast, 
you can check out the reference links to see a screenshot of the available commandlets and applications. These include apps like Zoom, VMware Tools, Notepad++, Google Chrome, Citrix Receiver, Adobe Acrobat DC, and more. I'm a big fan of Aaron's PowerShell module for installing the different versions of Visual C++ redistributable, so it's cool to see that he's branching out and getting into more applications. He's one of the sharpest techies in the community. So good job, Aaron. And sticking on that point, Eric from ZenAppLog also shared that you can use the commands as a quick example. Install dash module space dash name space evergreen and then simply get dash share x and that will allow you to download and install a great screen capture tool. So quick example of how to use it all and get a quick benefit out of it. And obviously by having it evergreen, that means you can always be on the latest version by simply running these commands. All automated. Very cool. The great bite-sized cloud book, which was released a few months ago and has been a favorite of the community, has now been released as a free ebook. Check it out for some great tips on cloud design principles and architectural recommendations and more. James Rankin also shared a great blog post on optimizing Microsoft Teams' web version to run on Citrix virtual apps and desktops by offsetting resource usage to the client side. He gets into how you can use Citrix policies and group policies and how to actually do this. So it's not just like a high-level overview of, hey, you know you can do this? Well, I did this. You should do it too. This is really getting into the meat and potatoes of it and showing you how to do it. And finally, Citrix CTP, Dave Brett, who's another awesome community member and a really sound guy, shared an excellent blog post on tips for securing your end-user computing environment. He dives into setting up segregated admin groups for your various services, restricting domain admins, and much more. I don't want to give away the full content. I'd rather you actually go out and view the content that he's worked so hard on producing for yourself, but it's definitely a smart approach to reducing the risk of lateral movement attacks, taking out your end-user computing assets. That's it for another episode of the podcast. If you like the podcast, by all means, tell your coworkers and your friends, and please rate the podcast on your podcast platform of choice because that helps improve the visibility and gets more eyes and ears on the podcast. Thanks very much for listening.